Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. It's been a moment, and we hope you're having an excellent stress-free holiday season. I'm here once again with Dr. Peter Rollins, but this time it's a little bit different, folks. Things have changed. Life is moving at breakneck speeds for all of us. It's hard to keep up. What's going on on Twitter? We're going to talk about it. But first, we need to catch up with Dr. Peter Rollins, philosopher, writer, who is currently getting used to his new home in Belfast, Ireland, Northern Ireland, and has behind him, if you aren't listening uh, or watching this, the video version, he has behind him a very beautiful, stunning Christmas tree. And it it looks wonderful. Now, Pete, can you explain both a little bit about the tree, what your inspiration was? And then if you don't mind, and I know this won't be as fun for our audio listeners, but if you could do what you did for me just a moment, just before we started hitting record, uh, where you walked over to that tree to reveal how incredibly large it is and how small in comparison it looks in the frame. Because it looks like you're doing a Lord of the Rings forced depth perception thing and it's really fascinating i was going to say it's it's not necessarily how large the tree is but how short i am but i'm gonna make my way <laughs> over to it right now here we go okay give him a moment he's hopping on over there look at him go uh really great that is a big big tree pete That's and a you're a tree. big big boy it is a big tree for a very short man <laughs> it's a I big tree for a good boy you're the Christmas guy. I'm not the Christmas guy. I haven't done a tree for decades. Yeah, you uh, you lapped me. My tree, we didn't do one this year because by the time it was time to put it up, we were like, we're just going to put it down and we go out of town. And then we got this little tiny like six inch thing. And it's kind of cute, but it's nothing like that. So now I'm, I'm excited next year to uh, do that. Because you said that's 10 feet tall? I, I think roughly maybe nine, nine, ten feet. I think, yeah. Really cool. Really cool, man. Well, how's Ireland? How are you, Pete? Tell everyone what you're up to. What's going on? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I have been home now a month and it's been great. Love it. Living in Belfast, uh, settled into the apartment. Um, everything is very uh, refreshingly cheap in comparison to LA. I mean, this is a nice apartment, you can see, but it's actually relatively cheap whenever you're coming from Los Angeles. So that's nice. In this global recession that some people are trying not to say is a recession, um, uh, it's good to kind of like uh, not spend so much money. Um, and it feels like I had never been away. I was 15 years out of Belfast and I feel like I've never left the place. Wow. Have you gotten, um, have people given you a hard time for being a Hollywood uh, elitist? Well, they always do, you know, but I, I give the Hollywood elites a hard time and they give me a hard time. So, yeah. Um, it's perfect. It's um, the natural order of things. Uh, yes, are you yes. were you able to immediately connect with all of your friends and family? And was there a party? Did they say welcome back in any kind of like way, or are they just like, oh hey yeah, you're back, cool. Yeah, you know it was just kind of like, all right, how's it going? You know, like as if I'd never left. Uh, but the first <laughs> night I arrived, I ended up in this place called Boundary, which is has got this tap room, and uh, saw all friends there. So it's been I, I kind of probably do more stuff here than in LA, and LA has got technically. So much stuff is happening. Um, but, oh, here's the thing. And not that we're going to get into this, but um, I was reading uh, Jean-Paul Sartre and Lacan recently. And, um, and reading Lacan, who, who said that uh, if God does not exist, nothing is permissible, uh, which is a play on what Sartre said. 
So Sark. Wait, Sark. Hold on, oh, that's yeah. too many negatives. I gotta wrap my head around that. If God doesn't, then there's no, which means there is. Cause wait, what? Explain, huh? Yes. Okay. Well, let me take a step back and say the easy one first. So Jean-Paul Sartre, in a famous essay called Existentialism is a Humanism, he he quoted, kind of misquoted, but it wasn't in a bad way, but he kind of paraphrased one of the characters in one of Dostoevsky's books in the Brothers Karamazov, who said, if God is dead, or if God does not exist, then everything is permissible. Everything. Okay. Right. Now, that's what Sartre said. So what Dostoevsky said, I think, was if God does not exist, then there's no objective authority to tell us what's right or wrong. Okay. Yeah, the and that's kind of wheels are to... off. Yeah. 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 Like there's nothing written off. in the stars to say whether charity giving is good and murder is wrong. So and Sartre builds his whole existentialism on that kind of principle. Um, but then Lacan cleverly kind of pokes a little bit of fun at Sartre and says, well, if God does not exist, then nothing is permissible. And in a nutshell, and we may want to talk about this or we may not, but what Lacan is saying is weirdly, whenever, if you take God as the lawgiver, right? If God is the one who kind of tells you what's right or what's wrong, it's written in eternity. If, if there is no law that is written in eternity and you can literally do whatever you want, human beings get so anxious that most of them end up doing nothing. And the reason why I'm telling this is because in LA, where you kind of, in one sense, have the demand, you can do whatever you want, go out, have sex with whoever you want, have relationships, friendships, do whatever you want. More and more people are paralyzed and do nothing and do none of that and find dating more and more difficult. And technically, there is no external law saying you shouldn't go out and have sex, you shouldn't go out this or that. But what happens is people put more and more of their own prohibitions on themselves. So even taking drugs has to be done in really complex ways. And um, even uh, like uh, going out becomes dangerous and terrifying. And so coming away from LA where as Lacan would say, God does not exist and everything is permissible, but we're actually nobody does anything and everybody's isolated and afraid. Um, it's kind of interesting to come back to Ireland. Yeah, yeah do, uh, I mean, I can relate to the L.A. part, definitely not the Ireland part. But uh, I was thinking about earlier, I saw something. It was about I was just thinking about all these new uh, dating websites that keep cropping up and how they get more specific with each kind of like generation of these apps, like one, like you start with like Tinder and it's just a free for all. And then it's like, well, this is if you want to really be in love. And this is if you want like a family. And this is if you want somebody who has your political values. And this is you, if you want somebody who has just the same height that you want or whatever. And it's like the whole thing is just getting more and more. And it's like the, uh, the, the paralysis of having every option available to you just, I think, makes people go like, it's too much. This doesn't work. It's not, it's not me enough. And so the companies then go, oh, here's something that's a little bit more tailored to you. And I figure in about 40 years, every dating app will be like, you just put your thumbprint on your phone or whatever, or it'll be in your head and then they'll just automatically match you with one specific person. So we're headed yes. towards that's we're headed towards the free, yeah, there's a black mirror. The free market. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there is a black mirror about it. Dang. Yeah. I thought I was being clever. Um, uh, I, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. On that as well, what was I gonna say is um oh yeah, I mean I I know people who have thought about going back to church not because they believe in any religious God or anything like that, but because going to somewhere like Hillsong or some conservative church provides more opportunity for dating that 
going back to a place with more restrictions and more prohibitions and more impossibilities actually generates more possibility for relationships that as you said like and this is the kind of one of the readings of what anxiety is is anxiety is actually the terror of having too much opportunity and therefore having no one to blame for your unhappiness but yourself <laughs> and also thinking mm-hmm. everybody else is happy so actually and you mentioned it in terms of dating apps it's very clever that they do that is you know people are going i actually need more restrictions um, in order to potentially be able to have freedom. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, that's, yeah. And it yeah. bums me out, too, because there's just so many people who are like, there's clearly a huge market for this because there's so many people are lonely. I mean, I guess there's a reason podcasts are so, uh, you know, popular because yep. you're just, you need somebody next to you in the room while you're getting ready. And if that's us right now, hello, and you look great. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, uh, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, the, this is, it is, it is like, it is just, I think, the modern phenomenon. We are in the age of anxiety. And I think even with lots of anxiety-related mental health issues, we see loads of them. And even when we talk about autism in terms of the kind of the, 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 the lower end of the spectrum of autism, you can see that as partly a phenomenon that arises in a modern age in which possibility is oceanic, that you're being told everywhere that you can do whatever you want, even picking a soda or even going, you know, picking what bread you want. I, you know, I go to the supermarket and there's 25 types of bread to choose. If you lived in a feudal age, you didn't get to choose what you did for a job. You had no social mobility. You didn't choose who you were going to marry. Like you were kind of on tracks. Now that was shit, but it, that created different mental health issues. One of the things it didn't probably generate is excessive amounts of societal anxiety. But today we live in this profound anxiety for exactly the opposite reason than people think. People think that anxiety comes from not getting what you want. Like anxiety comes from being distant from something, but um, if you take the kind of Lacanian notion, um, anxiety arises precisely whenever you're given all of the opportunities, <laughs> whenever suddenly right. everything is opened up to you. This, exp- this experience both causes anxiety and also prevents you from doing anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do uh, HelloFresh a lot, you know, that service that we would oh, yeah. happily sponsor on this podcast if you're listening. Um, <laughs> and they, like... I was, it was, I think it was like Sunday or something. Like a new HelloFresh will come and they'll send three meals usually with it, with all the pre-portioned ingredients. And, uh, but then like Grace will come up to me with three like recipes and she'll be like, which one of these do you want? And then it's like, I guess I, all of a sudden, not only do I have to not go out to a restaurant to like have a menu, I can just sit and like watch TV and then just, and then I get to decide what meal and then at the end of it, it's like, well, I haven't, people used to like go like, what are we going to do tonight for dinner and like make a recipe and get creative or we have this in the house and we'll still do that. But there's enough times where it's like, there's no decision. Like it's like the decision is, is or the, excuse me, like you're saying, there's so many decisions. And yes. So like, okay, I'll do that. If there was four meals, I'd freak out. I'm like, th- usually I'm like, I, whatever, I, whichever one. I don't, I could truly couldn't care unless it's meatloaf and I really like meatloaf. So that's beside the point. Yes. But anyway. But yeah, no, and, here, and here's the, here's the thing, like. If, if, you, if this is true, if we live in the age of anxiety, in the modern 
uh, first world, then um, the what will happen is as people experience profound anxiety, they're more likely to do one of two things. One, either find someone who imposes limits on them. So going back to conservative religion, so that whole kind of reverting to trad, the trad movement back to traditional religion, or trad to... Cats. What's that? The trad cats. The trad cats, yes. <laughs> Which sounds cool, you know, but I'm not so it fond is, of yeah. that move. I know a few people who have done it. Um, they are, or political <laughs> reactionaries. You know, you go, you go to a kind of reactionary position where there's rules um, that allow yeah. you to enjoy because there is. Or the one that I think is most dangerous is you start to impose your own limits. There's, you start to become, uh, you know, whether like you put your own limits so as you don't go out so that you kind of are more more frightened of the other. And you find like obsessive compulsives, more and more rituals that you do at home that yeah. kind of make your life smaller and smaller and smaller. And I think all of these are simultaneously happening. Is, it, is that how you say it? aesthetic? Is that what that is? Just... What did I say? Oh, the aesthetic. Is that... Is, or aesthetic, is that how you say that word? When you like take things away from yourself and you live a very sort of high aesthetic, a s c. Yeah, the aesthete, the aesthete. Is that how you yeah, say it? Okay, great, aesthetes. Yeah, I think you're saying it pretty much right. Yeah, the aesthete, the aesthetic. Yeah, it's very close to the aesthetic, which is kind of what's beautiful. Right. But the aesthete, yes, is the one who removes more and more. Um, and the obsessive compulsive person is the one who gives themselves more and more rituals. Now, I go on, man, in LA, not that I want to, now I've left it. I love LA and I miss it, but I miss you. Oh, here we um, go. The, the, the classic leave LA and now you can have a better perspective given your dis. I understand. Let's hear it. Let's okay, I'm going to slag LA for a second, <laughs> but I would have said that when it was there, is um, the amount of obsessive rituals people have around food, and health and fashion and it's quite impressive how uh it's harder and harder to simply enjoy so even something like a drug experience becomes like oh i'm going to do a day fast i'm going to then go to peru and get like poison from yeah. a frog and put it on my skin and and or or certain eating disorders are spiritualized you know to kind of become but there's more and more restraints that people put on themselves and the reason why i think it happens in la a lot is precisely because LA is the place where you experience radical freedom, where you're told, yeah, you can go out and do anything you want, be anyone you want. And precisely that is going to be the society where people put more and more constraints on themselves. One of my, um, in one of my classes, uh, we were discussing the spiritual but not religious movement or sbnr um yeah. and i would add i would say that another reason los angeles is like that is because of the california being the birthplace of like the countercultural movement and then people the hippies and everyone in the the beat poets or whatever running away from religion and finding freedom in the open world and open land and it was an interesting discussion because i think there's value in the spirit being spiritual but not religious but then at the same time like you're saying doesn't have that like container of things and rules and actual like public rituals that have been passed down for a while instead it's just like you flying by the seat of your own pants uh and yes. it can get a little, a little which nutty. creates a lot of anxiety i mean the, i i think like not all the time, but nine times out of ten, um, the kind of hippie spiritual culture ends up 
becoming fascist. It, it ends up eating itself. And like think of Jim Jones and, and think of the Jesus freaks and all. Like in, in LA, whenever you create a, a commune where everything is free love and free possibility and enjoyment, because that creates such a high level of anxiety, what often happens is those communities start to have a whole pile of rules and regulations that in order to start to manage their enjoyment. So very, and they don't even notice it, but very gradually there's speech restrictions, there's restrictions on what you can say and how you can relate to each other. There's restrictions, all these restrictions come in and it's precisely because the free-for-all, the, the kind of spiritual kind of openness is precisely what generates a profound anxiety. Um, just like a child, if you, if you don't give a child boundaries, they get you know, profoundly anxious. You let them you know, eat all the chocolate they want, play all the Nerf battles they want. They, the, 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 the oceanic openness provides um, a context for the increase in anxiety. So in the same way, it happens in commun communities. Yeah, one of my favorite writers that I've spoken about with you, and I think on the podcast before, I just finished his most recent book called The Superhumanities by a guy named Jeffrey Kripal. And he's a, uh, I think at Rice University, and he's a scholar of religions or comparative religions or something like that. And he uh, he said something at one point about like the the purpose of religion is not always to like connect you with the divine it's actually to protect you from it yes and like yes. kind of be a, sh a shield because otherwise you're just in this uh you don't know you don't know what's going to pop out at you because then all of a sudden you start getting into aliens or you start thinking that you you uh that there's a alien species living underwater and you start thinking that <laughs> oh uh if i go out to catalina island on the west side of catalina island is a hot spot for ufos and then you start planning a weekend getaway uh, to surprise your spouse for for christmas to go to catalina island then you find out that she isn't really into just seeing ufos and that doesn't feel very romantic to her and then you start getting into a fight and the next thing you know you guys are at the courthouse you got lawyers you're figuring it out you're screaming at each other you've forgotten why you loved each other in the first place and it's all because of the spiritual but not religious movement in los angeles <laughs> Amen. Absolutely. I, I know that's that's just a hypothetical. Hypothetical. Just a, <laughs> throwing out. Throwing out. Uh, something to think about. Um, yeah. What do you um, make? Here, can uh, I jump in on that? Um, yeah, because please. this is a very good point. Is that and and Jung said it as you know. It's like Jung said, religion is a protection against God. Um, that the the interesting thing is that we actually need a semi permeable barrier to protect us from the. Uh, I mean, right, I, I don't, well, I'll say this and then I'll, I'll say what I think, but a semi-permeal barrier that protects us from the absolute or from the absolute pleasure or enjoyment, the thing that we really want. And if spirituality says you can have this relationship with the lost object, you can have whatever you want. That's precisely what we want to protect ourselves from. Now, not consciously. Consciously, we think we want the mother other. We want the lost object. But, um, but unconsciously, we actually, the more we get closer to the lost object, the more frightened we, we become. That's why Lacan called the mother a crocodile. He said this crocodile that um, you need language to, to, to keep the mouth of the crocodile open so as it doesn't consume you. And that's just a metaphor for that we need some separation mm -hmm. from the the face of God, right? We need to hide behind the rock. We need to be protected. So religion is, whenever people say here, spiritual, not, not religious, but oh, religion prevents you from encountering the absolute. 
the, the proper religious person says exactly <laughs> and, yeah. the and you're welcome does, yes you're welcome yeah <laughs> now, i just think that the absolute's created by the barrier that's the only thing i'd add to that but yeah yeah um and just like that, I'm confused again. We were uh, the. You can keep going if you want. I mean, I find it interesting. I can piece it together. I get the metaphor. I don't think it's a great metaphor, just in terms of metaphors go, because oh, it yeah. kind of loses its metaphor with the language part. But I understand that Lacan was all about language. But you think the absolute has a barrier? I don't know. Oh, like a oh, like yeah. an actual impermeable barrier. So if you like, if you. Like very briefly, I'll say like three different understandings of the sublime. So there's Burke, uh, this, whose understanding of the sublime is the sublime is when something you, you encounter someone so beautiful that they briefly express true beauty or you mm-hmm. see a truth that expresses absolute truth. So the sublime are those moments. Very platonic. We something. What's that? Very platonic. Yes, very platonic, and yeah, and we get this moment where we get, we kind of get out of the cave. We maybe don't get out of the cave, but we glimpse. Yes, we glimpse outside the cave. That's the sublime. Like for Kant, the sublime is slightly different. The sublime is a failure in the world that brings to mind what you cannot express. So, if you say to somebody, "Words cannot describe how much I love you." That's a failure in language, but actually that failure kind of brings to mind love. So it's a failure that mm. succeeds. It's a failure that kind of like actually brings to mind something that you can't actually put into words. So it's a it's actually not the failure of language. It's kind of the success of language. Language is successful in its very failure. Um, and religion in the Kantian sense is a kind of barrier to the absolute that actually brings to mind the absolute that the only way to bring to mind that which is otherwise than we can conceptualize is through some sort of failure, some sort of like, some sort of problem. So, I mean, a platonic example is we don't know what true reality is, but we know that we don't know it. And the very, as soon as we acknowledge our ignorance, there's something we actually then affirm what we don't know we say oh i don't know what ultimate reality is but you're kind of affirming that there is ultimate reality so religion can be seen as like that religion is a type of barrier to the absolute that actually um brings to mind the absolute then the third the third one is the hegelian which is the one i mentioned which is where the absolute is generated by the failure the failure to describe something generates what it feels to describe. Um, so yeah, and so those are the three types of, I think, sublime. And religious um, I, uh You ever think about getting into philosophy? <laughs> this, that's good, man. You, yeah. Um, <laughs> I know a guy, if you uh, are curious about that, that world at all. Um, what was I going to say that was actually not just a pithy remark that I actually offered something of some semblance of substance about the sublime, uh, 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 I don't remember. Um, but yeah, that's great. I like that. Yeah. I like the sublime. What that? Uh, I like how you use the word sublime too. Um, oh yeah, because and it kind of, you, it, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I remembered my incredible point. 
Great. Uh, it wasn't really a point because what you said reminded me of the thing I was reading that still it's like one of those um, really fun things, I think, to just kind of sit with. But it was about this idea that makes sense if you think about it. And it also is just makes it feel like we're really in a simulation. But it's that idea that because we evolved through natural selection, uh, that we did not evolve in any way to tell the truth about the nature of reality at all. There was no reason for nature to select us being right about things. It was only selecting us to be able to reproduce. And so therefore, the actual outside world could be absolutely nothing like we uh, think, but we have adapted in such a way that we can function within it, which is just kind of fun to think about. Uh, And then it also, I think, is a good humbling thing. So anyway, that's my big big statement. That's yeah, my own um, interpretation, by the way. No, that and that that is a a really interesting thing, right? As, as C.S. Lewis talks about that, where he says, like, like if you take a purely naturalistic view of the world, yes, as you say, nature does not, it does not, it doesn't have a telos towards reason; it has towards reproduction. Um, but then, the, and then the question is, well, can we know reality, or? Like, is two plus two equal four really true? And obviously, mm-hmm. I want to say it is. So um, I have to, I have to square that circle. I have to say, why does reason arise out of this weird natural evolutionary process? Um, and some people want to say it doesn't. Some people want to say two plus two equals four is invented. Um, and some people want to say yeah, that socially constructed, yeah, socially constructed, and that's a big thing today, actually. In fact, it connects with what we wanted to talk about. But without throwing some people under the bus, there is an idea that everything is particularistic, and and the the violence of society is by somebody taking their say Western view, their Western kind of philosophy, and universalizing it. That's that's the danger, and and. You often hear that, like white supremacy is whenever you take a contextual, particular European notion and you pretend that it is universally true. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, so that, and that's very common today. I've got some friends, I got somebody, a friend of ours actually put something like that on Instagram a few weeks ago. But, yeah. About what can you give me? Um, can you talk vaguely enough about it? But it's oh yeah, well it's interesting, and you know, sorry, but be saying that um, our notion of uh, kind of Westernized science, scientific method, is not a universal. It's a particular way of thinking about the world, and other people have particular ways of accessing the truth about the world. But when we take something like a scientific method and we say that that has a universal. Uh, appeal that that has a universal truth dimension to it we are um, hiding uh, prejudices and there's something really interesting about that argument no i i can agree partially i think both sides are uh partially true because i don't think you wanted to speak in such broad strokes that you like flatten out everybody's actual differences and upbringings and social and genetics and said blah 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 and then you also don't want to be so specific that you lose the ability to talk about humanity as a whole because then where do you go uh, it's yes. like you gotta both are ne- uh like necessary and i think if you do one more than the other constantly you're gonna end up in a bad situation because then you can't take anything as truth or you can't take people for historically situated and geographically in- uh, situated people yes can, can i give you like, i think this can help us understand the culture wars can i give you my brief description of the culture wars and see what you think oh let's like yeah because we were trying to talk about uh elon musk and his his yes his, his uh hooligans yeah 
yes, and he's yeah, he's kind of found himself part of all of this. Um, is that so? For me, identitarianism, which often people talk about as the right alt right, but I'll use it identitarianism, is usually the idea that under the guise of some universal, like meritocracy or something like that, some universal, actually it really benefits one particular group. So identitarians often talk about universals, universal things, but yeah. beneath it, there is some benefit to a particular group. Then identity politics is generally the, the people who show that. They show that there's a prejudice in the, in the so-called universal, but then identity politics, will, will, they will say that what you have is particular identities and particular ways of seeing the world. And the problem is when you take one of those particular ways and you universalize it, that's the problem. What we instead have to do is create a society where different particular worldviews, different particular ways of engaging with society and different identities are valued and those intersect in various ways so there's intersectional mm. dimensions but but there is no u positive universal so identitarians say there's a positive universal identity politics says no beneath your supposed hey we're all equal that benefits some particular group and but then the, for me the critique of that is that there is a universal which is the negative itself the universal is the um there is a, there is something universal it's not a positive but it's a negative universal but that's what i see in, in terms of the culture wars is that some side are saying we speak in the name of universals and universal truth the other side says no 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 beneath that there's all these prejudices and these um uh benefits to one particular group and that's kind of the culture wars in a nutshell mm -hmm. for me nice yeah that all i mean i think that and the negative thing sounds like an apathetic kind of, uh, you're not, uh, the, 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 the universal thing is that everyone is the lack. Is that what you're kind of getting yes. at? The yeah. Lacanian yeah. lack? Well, I see you know me too well. You say I'm always <laughs> going to come back to that. <laughs> um, Hold on, guys. Pete needs to talk about the lack for a second. Uh, yes. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Well, if it's true, it's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, I get it. Um. Well, so what is your your takeaway? Because I, you know, I am um, the the I'll, I'll share my opinion on the Musk situation, which is very quick mm. and shallow. Uh, for one, I'm exhausted by it, and for two, I don't trust um, billionaire uh, people. That said, I find Musk to be fascinating, and I think he's a very interesting person, and I don't see him as a, a demon. Uh, I don't see him as a good guy. I don't see him as a genius. I don't think he's an idiot either. Thank you for your time. <laughs> that is very milquetoast. That is very Yeah, I mean, and you know, if I had some hot take on Musk, I would share it. Um, I, I think it's funny that he put a Twitter poll out. We're doing this on the 19th of uh, December, but he put a Twitter poll out saying he'll quit. If the poll says he should quit, and then the poll says he should quit, and then there's all these reports that actually that was just set up because of his investors being like, we want a new CEO. And I do like the idea that Tom from MySpace chimed in as a potential candidate to run Twitter, and everybody cheered him on because I love Tom from MySpace. So, Oh, yeah. No, I, am, I mean, I, I, it seems obvious to me that that's, uh, that's his way out, yeah. But anyway, but that's beside the point. Um, oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, and, and not only in the terms of that position or whatever, um, yeah, so 
the first thing I'll say is then the question of free speech at first, like connecting it with what we've been talking about is that great free speech is interesting because in terms of if you have, if this is true, that the more freedom we have, the more we will constrain ourselves, the more prohibitions and we will require in order to quieten our anxiety, just like a kid creates obsessive compulsive things because the world is so open. Um, Then what we're seeing in this culture war about free speech is anxiety and the response to anxiety and you know then what is the then the question is what is the correct response to all of this um and depending on what side you're on you get enjoyment from different things so for me what's really interesting is how do people extract their enjoyment so for example people on the right well people on the left the supposed left the identity politics they extract their enjoyment from things like videos about Karens, videos that expose that the supposed universal person is actually prejudiced and particularistic and whatever. So that's the enjoyment of that side. The enjoyment of identitarians is showing up uh, identity politics people as logically inconsistent, falling foul of their own impossibility like you know but but not being able to articulate universals so you think of matt walsh and what is a woman or whatever like that so there's different ways to extract enjoyment depending on where you are and what you're seeing in this battle of free speech is different anxiety different ways anxiety expresses itself and i think different ways in which people are finding enjoyment now that's not saying very much do you want me to no, keep I mean, maybe, to... no, I like it. Maybe it explains why I'm not that, um, I guess, libidinally invested in it. And yeah. uh, because there's the lack of, uh, I don't feel that necessar- necessarily uh, being anxiety when I'm reading this stuff. But it is fascinating. It is like, uh, it, what? here's what gets under my, my go. Here's what gets my, uh, the, the Musk uh, simps, and the idolization of this guy of um, really kind of weird, uh, like kind of like father figure, like um, like Daddy Musk is gonna save everything, and he's here to like. It's it it reminds me of an actual kind of like child like looking up at a superhero, except it's more real life, and it seems like there's a whole lot of them, and it seems like that would fit in with your anxiety because of course. These men, usually men, dudes, are going to be like, they're going to have, if they're going to have anxiety, they're going to do what a little kid would do and have a superhero. Uh, well, but it's cringy the, to read. It's cringy the to only, read their, like, adoration. The only thing I would say is, and like, so I am, a, I'm a fan of Elon Musk, have been for years. So, and I'll say, and I can give reasons for that. But, but what I would say is that there's just as many people, it seems, who uh, overly kind of, uh, demonize and overly kind of have a negative affect in relation oh absolutely if if we so if we take all of those people like people who are having a you know like where he has he has some sort of symbol so for both of them there's a paternal symbolism one is there the father to reject the other the father to accept i hear you but i do think you would i mean and maybe statistically you'll find whatever but i think there's people on both sides like you know people who love him and yeah so the question more is, how do we navigate free speech? Um, for me, that's that's the question. And 
you know, there, and the thing that everyone agrees on, well, not everyone, but is that obviously, uh, I can't talk about this, that you have to have certain restrictions in order to have freedom. So you have to have traffic laws in order to have freedom to travel, right? Without, without restrictions yeah. of travel laws, you can't, you wouldn't be able to travel. There wouldn't be any way to go about. So there is a certain sense in which there are certain constrictions that are required in order for freedom to happen. And a lot of the discussion, of course, is around what, what those are. Um, yeah. And yeah, I do like the fact that you're, I think you're a little bit more critical. I'm a little bit more sympathetic mm -hmm. to Musk. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, I mean, we could talk about that instead of free speech. I'm kind of interested in kind of, we did talk about, did we ever release the episode we did on Musk and space travel? We did one on Musk, uh -huh. and and I was very pro this kind of yeah, yeah. kind of attempt to go to Mars. I don't know if we ever released that episode. <laughs> yeah, that's and that is funny because I was reading in prep for this podcast some of the like uh, it's like I am not inundated with this constantly. I was googled why do people not like Elon Musk, and it was this article that I'm pretty sure was written by AI. It didn't seem to have much of a like a soul behind its writing and it, it just, i was like mm, this isn't a real thing but it was good enough for an ai article and one of the uh things was mentioning the space travel and like the colonizing of space so of course that's right over the the plate of that critical kind of um you know well this is bad don't go taking over space too taking over everything else and i get that but then the people it, each thing would say and here's why people actually like musk for this and the reason they like musk is because the Space travel's cool, and it's neat, and if we need it, great, and it's uh, cool to see somebody doing something like that who has the resources. It's very, like, Iron Man-y. Um, well, the, stuff, and the but key, it's funny that it did yeah. just come up in that thing that I read. That's funny, because th this is, like, this is one of the main reasons that I'm, I'm pro-Musk, and it's that, that basically Musk has, uh, I don't know if he'd articulate it quite like this, but basically, and we've talked about this, but that... One of the most rare substances in the world is reason, self-conscious is reason, right? So even if we think there's aliens or whatever, like we don't really have any proof or whatever. So we're looking at the universe and in this vast universe, it looks like reason, the mind concept, not my mind or your mind, but mind itself is incredibly rare. That it's, it's, um, it's almost so rare that like it's actually... This sounds crazy to say because it's always very popular to say, oh, well, there obviously has to be life elsewhere. But there is also some people who argue that potentially life is so difficult, so like so difficult to get from life to reason, right? Which takes a couple hundred million years, whatever, to, to get to that place is so difficult that it might be almost absent from the universe i mean maybe a couple of places but like in the vast universe it might be almost completely absent and so musk his his whole policy is we need to protect reason not us not me or you or him but we have to protect mind itself reason self-consciousness because it's so, so rare and we have to get it off the planet like we are literally i think we're like a is it just literally a couple of hundred million years away from the planet Earth disappearing entirely as a habitable place. So, I like I like people who have long term plans. And um, the, for for most, the long term plan is that we need to protect self consciousness because self consciousness is so rare that um, like it's so so rare. 
that it might e that I mean it sounds crazy to say, but this might be the only place that it exists. I don't think that, but but there are intelligent people who think that that is a, a possibility. It sure seems like we're not that intelligent, though. I don't know that the bar is set completely high. I feel like <laughs> that there's, I don't know that there, because I, I saw some article that was about the uh, fix to the Fermi's paradox for aliens. Oh yeah. Uh, and it was like, we just don't meet the technological cutoff. Like, we're not uh, worthy enough, basically, to go to take the expenditure out or use the resources to come travel because, like, we're not we're not notable yet. And so there's the other way of the... It's basically the opposite of what you're saying, which is just funny. Yes. That there's actually, no, people are waiting on us to catch up, or not people, but whoever. And uh, and that's why they're just not coming here, which I think is... Oh, yeah, we're in a zoo. Cute, that's cute that was kind of the yeah. zoo theory. Yeah. I mean, the Fermi's paradox yeah, yeah. is... Very, very interesting. And th- I mean, what I like about it is I think the main takeaway of it is, um, is again, how difficult, like there's basically a number of thresholds that the one has to overcome to become interplanetary, to become, or, well, let's say to, to, to enter into reason. So many thresholds that it's almost in, unfathomable that it ever happened and the only reason why we can say is because it's happened to us it's like the you know the lottery is a there is someone has to win the lottery and if i won the lottery i'd be like oh of course it was rational to to play the lottery because i won but it's not really rational to play the lottery but someone has to win so in a sense we may be the winners in terms of like we got to reason which means we got to understand how triangles work and maybe yeah. some other species got to know how triangles work, but if they did, it seems like it's incredibly rare. Unless, as you say, like we're in a zoo, <laughs> yeah. which I find less persuasive. <laughs> I like it. I think we. And I, I, uh, I think we. I think it's funny that we made roller coasters because uh, we like to scare ourselves, and we're just like. I think it's fun to look to imagine being just a different echelon of uh, consciousness, and then look down and be like, ah. Oh. There I am, showering, just doing my yeah. thing. It's just fun. Because uh, here's the thing: if, there's, if there is a, if there is a hyperintelligent civilization, triangles work the same way for them as they do for us. That's what reason is. Reason is that water still boils for them at the same temperature, and you know velocity works in the same way, and all of that. So you know these hyperintelligent beings, reality still works the same way as it does for us. But you're, I mean, what if there's a post-reason uh, species out there that's gotten past the next hurdle, and the only reason they know about that level is because they've attained it, which obviously we can't know about it because we haven't. Yes. Where triangles are, got four sides, and two plus two equals circle. Yeah. You know? Yes. <laughs> I'm up. I'm if you have any more questions, just ask. I'm pretty into philosophy, and I can help you out. Um, yeah. So back to free speech whatnot my understanding is the dude says he's super into free speech he's gonna absolutely no one's gonna be banned next thing you know twitter's not allowing people to tweet out to other social media sites he's banning journalists left and right he's saying that there were dangerous uh things happening as a result of this jet tracker thing but then police found no evidence so it almost seems as if he made it up entirely and then uh as a in an effort to sort of do what he wants to do and i feel like that's a bad thing and I feel like it's uh, and and then you got you know the journalists getting um, getting banned. Isn't that like how do you square that with the free speech? Um, him kind of coming in as a free speech 
absolutist or whatever it was. He, he yeah. Played. You know, well, so for me, yeah, that is kind of the, the positive universal hitting upon all of its inherent contradictions. Now, in each of those examples, we could, we could pick them apart. So while I am broadly sympathetic to what's going on, which is, um, you know, one, you kind of have free speech as this universal, and then you hit all sorts of barriers and edge case, cases, and then have to na- and have to re-navigate. Um, so there, there are questions. So, for example, doxing is the big one, right? Um, yeah. Sh- uh, should doxing, and this connects with at least a few of the things that you mentioned, right? So, dox. What is first of all? What is doxing? Should doxing be allowed? Um, that's a really big question, and that's a limit. And I think that's kind of one of the places that a debate is going on now. Also, not a debate. Also, people there's people who are being tribal, but there is a debate and an interesting debate about what is doxing, what does it mean. So, for example, um, in a very simple way, to to put someone's real time location online, should that be allowed? or not even real-time location or where they live. They may not be there at the time, but you put yeah. their, their home online. And then if someone puts that online and then someone else tweets it, should they be suspended? Because it's now public knowledge, right? So this person doxed you, but this person is just reporting on the doxing. And so these are questions mm-hmm. that are not different, they're, but they're, they're just, these are, the, these are the interesting questions. Um, I'm someone robbed them. a bank. Okay, yeah, because like someone robbed a bank, and then somebody gets some of the money from the bank robbery. Do they both go to jail for robbing the bank when only one of them robbed the bank? Is that that analogy might well? Are you saying if the person yeah. knowingly takes the money? Yeah, yeah, knew knew it was stolen and took it, or maybe it fell out of the bag when they were doing their really cool car chase scene. And a bag of money fell out next to them, and they know they could tell that you know police are flying by. They know it's stolen. They take it. Are they uh, committing a crime? And if, yeah, they they would be committing a crime. Well, no, actually, well, that's a good example because th- this is the problem in law is intentionality, and intentionality is a nightmare because, like, so for example, you can get caught speeding, and if you say to the police officer, "I didn't see the speeding li- the speed limit sign," it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your intention is. It yeah. matters whether. So maybe. The idea is that the person who took the money, they wouldn't be arrested necessarily, but the money would be taken off them. So, for example, if, if you retweeted someone who doxed a person, that tweet might be taken down, but you might not be banned. Maybe that's a way of doing it because the person could say, my intention was not to dox, but does intentionality matter or not? I mean, that's, I, that's, a, that's a very yeah. difficult question. You, you said um, that you're against personally doxing, but that sounds as though it is a debatable stance, as though it's like um, almost like uh, the, like, I, I personally am against doxing. Isn't pretty much, every, wouldn't everybody be against doxing? I mean, I'm having like flashbacks of my YouTube uh, days, like bigger YouTube days, as opposed to now, uh, when it was like actually people could do things and like, like re- you could get really screwed up if you took a photo and it showed where you were at a particular spot and people would show up like people would, you know, uh, and then people would take photos yeah. when, you know, they're not looking at them and it seems just in general, a bad, a bad thing. Well, I, like I totally to agree. Be made? 
I, I don't agree, but I think the issue is, so maybe everyone's against doxing, but, but what is, so for example, Elon Musk's jet the plane, coordinates, yeah. is that, is that doxing? So yeah, that, that's a good point is that I think most sensible people are against doxing, but the question is if it's publicly available information, is that, is that doxing or if it's publicly available, but it's difficult to get or, you know, those are quite, or, or if it was private and someone publicly puts it up and then someone else retweets the public, that's, I suppose, maybe that's where it's debatable. I like, I don't, I think the Elon Musk jet thing is doxing. I don't think that should be, I think he should. Really? Oh yeah. If you but say the real time location of. It's, of, it's well, moving though, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the because. The plane's moving. Yes, but, it's, but you're, you're tracking, you know where it's come from and where it's going to. And where it is you, at any particular moment. You, that's fair. And uh, the fear is that someone will see Elon's jet and be like, I'm going to go meet Elon because I'm a crazy person. And they're going to like yeah. be able to get into the airport, like past security. And they're going to be able matter. to. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I mean, if you're, if your criteria is doxing yeah. is allowed as long as someone has enough security, then that's, that's different. So if you're saying, well, can you dox somebody if it's in, a, in an airport where there's security and police? You're saying Am I doxing the... Am I doxing the president if I say he's in the White House? Um, no, and this is where Post the, the address conversation. Yes, that that is not, and this is where it's in. Let's oh, brilliant, right? That, I would say that's not doxing. Um, okay. No, so what's the difference between? So, for example, Elon Musk had a privacy thing on his jet that the guy Sweeney cracked through an algorithm. So, uh, Elon Musk was trying to. We paid to have his private jet, not public knowledge. And Sweeney, you know, in, in February, this is February, kind of cracked that algorithm, you know, created an algorithm that could still work out what code was being used for Elon Musk jet. I think that's... People are so that's smart. Good. That's yeah, so smart. But then, but then Elon Musk took that off. So, yeah, that's a good question, right? The president in the White House is that doxing. And why is it not doxing if it's not doxing, right? That's a good question. I mean, probably public knowledge, right? Most people would imagine. I'm sure he travels a lot. He's a busy guy. But I would imagine that he's – You, it's a building that is known for housing the president. Um, be like doxing the pope by saying that he's at the Vatican. And I can understand yeah. it being a private jet traveling and you don't want to worry about it. I get the idea of not wanting your travel information out there. Um, when but it's a good question. Thing... Yeah, it's a good question. Like, so, um, but I think you maybe hit it. Is like, if it's public knowledge, and that's what doxing is not doxing. If it's public knowledge, but is that, but that doesn't probably fix it completely either. This is what's great. This is why it has to be back and forth. Because, so let's say you're. It's not doxing if it's public knowledge. If I know where you are publicly, as in I can type in where is Elliot Morgan, where does he live, and it comes up, and it's all, and it's on the internet, and you've told it, you've said it yourself. Right, you've you know you've put your address up. That's not doxing, is it? Would we say mm -hmm. that's not doxing, or is it? I mean, I, you're. Uh, there's got to be like you like you were saying the intentionality, right? I mean, it doesn't. Also, why would you do that? That seems like boring information for people. Although the why doesn't matter. Again, the law doesn't care about the why. Like somebody might want to talk. Like I've had stalkers. You've probably had stalkers, you know. Like even people who are small as us can kind of have people who 
you know, if they knew where yeah. we live, can, you know, I had someone fly to an event that I was uh-huh. speaking at, you know, um, but, oh, but that you've was public had knowledge. Some, you've had some gold in terms of I've had some gold, stockings. yes. But, but that wasn't doxing because that was public knowledge. Like it was public knowledge where I was going to be because um, I yeah. put it out there. That wasn't the, the creepy that, part. So that's, yeah, so that's completely fine. But if, yeah, if I don't, if I don't want my location known, I guess that's it. Yeah. I don't know. So, so that the, intention the, does matter then. Intention. Well, um, wh- yeah, I, I'm, I'm nervous about saying that. So I'm more maybe saying if it's public, no, if it's publicly out there and it's publicly advertised, then that, that's not doxing. If it's private, it is. And then there's probably this really annoying middle range, right? So maybe Elon Musk jet is a middle thing. It's a it's a it's a test case. It but, um it exists in international waters. It's uh, not under the jurisdiction of any particular viewpoint. It's uh, we can use the metaphor as uh, long as we want. So yeah. I, uh, oh here well I don't, here's an easy here's an easy solution. Is it doxing if someone says I do want my information out there? Whether it's Elon Musk, the president, or me, it's like. Is that an easy way to say? Is that it's doxing as soon as someone says my information is online? I do not want it to be online. Is that the answer? Yeah, I mean that isn't that the whole um, Hunter Biden uh, laptop controversy that like the the is this big scandal when the Biden administration prior to being the Biden administration had the New York Post take their like story down that basically showed nudes of hunter biden because hunter biden was like you can't share naked pictures of me and i don't want that on the internet and so they took it down i mean i feel like anybody the whole revenge porn uh world is very dark and weird and it's not your location but i'd care much less about my location than i would about my booty i don't want my booty being out there for the world to see I don't, I, don't think that's the, I don't think that's the controversial bit. That's right. But I know, like, I, you know, I'm no friend of the Democrats. So, so I, I remember at the time, like, there's, there's a German, or sorry, a Russian, there's a Russian parable about this guy. Um, it's illegal to, to talk about the atrocities of Stalin. And he's out in Red Square handing out flyers. And the KGB here that he's out handing out flyers that detail the atrocities of Stalin's regime. So the KGB go to arrest him. They grab the leaflets off them, but they're completely empty. They're going like, there's nothing written on these. They're empty, right? Piss off. And they said, by the way, why are you handing out empty leaflets? And the guy says, well, why bother writing it down? Sure, everybody already knows. Right? So whenever Hunter Biden happened, I was like, it's of course it was the F. Like, of course there was a conspiracy to keep it off the internet. Like, it was obvious. But it's kind of good that there's receipts for it now. But, but it was like, it was obvious that, that Twitter were were suppressing the story that's why i see it is that they were it was obvious they were repressing the story but not because of nudes well let's say it was though i mean let's say and also that it's you know it doesn't matter i mean it'd be like it can be for any reason if he didn't want his information out there then yes does the website like unless it's it's criminal that's it unless it's criminal and this is the thing because i was going to mention this this is a good question if it's criminal so, for example, you can share online, say, for example, the registration plate or the house of a of, if, if there's a crime and you're trying to a crime has been committed, then I think then that 
then there, that's an exception. If there's a crime. Now, you're right as in, uh, can you know in advance of a crime is being committed? So with Hunter Biden, that might be an issue is we don't know at that time, we didn't know if a crime had been committed. And so my understanding yeah. of the Hunter Biden thing dude, is so like, because never mind the, 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 yeah, we can talk about the, like the minority report thing of arresting someone for a crime happens or, uh, you know, circumstantial evidence and all that stuff. But like, there, there's no, where's the laptop? Why aren't they bringing it forward? And then how do you prove that there's like a chain of custody or whatever, that this was actually in the possession of Hunter Biden and didn't get weirdly tinkered with? And also that guy's taking a hard drive off of a customer of his, who's supposedly like leaving the, his laptop at some place in the middle of nowhere that happens to be owned by a massive legally blind Trump supporter. And then there's no, they won't bring the actual physical laptop forward to indicate that there might be like D there's DNA all over our computers. They'd be able to find like a skin cell. And yet for yeah. some reason they don't do that. And so the, the, there's no way to prove at how the way that this goes back to the person that they're accusing. Then they got an article going up that isn't just the crimes. It's also salacious because it's, nudes and stuff because the new york post and obviously they're going to do that to get clicks so i can understand being like no this isn't like a court of law right now like you can't do that and that guy it's a revenge porn type thing even if they're even if there's crime involved it's still including his nudes does that make is that make sense well i think i think what you're bringing out is like the really interesting complexity of this like there's a whole pile of questions that need to be answered um i uh, it's interesting you're saying that you think that maybe you know, like, so for example, the story that came out at the time, which I find quite incredible, as in the lack of credibility, was that... <laughs> quite that, that fantastic. Was a, yes, was a Russian disinformation uh, tactic. That, that's what the FBI yeah. said. That's what was, that's what, in fact, that's what uh, some people in Twitter said was, you know, this had all the hallmarks of a Russian disinformation attack. Um, I, from the little bit I've looked at it, uh, that seems very, that seems like, it seems very uncredible at this point that this was a Russian disinformation. I mean, at most, maybe, and I don't think this is the case, but maybe some fake emails were put into the hard drive. But yeah, it seems yeah. like it's mostly, if not 100%, was Hunter Biden's laptop. But are you saying that you think it, it wasn't? No, I think there there is a hard drive that has been tampered with and then passed around. There's already multiple versions that have been passed around within the Republican um, congressmen and congresspeople. So I don't get I, it feels like there's no at that point, it's not a reliable thing. But maybe I'm just not I just don't have my eyes open or whatever. But it seems it well, still no, seems like a fantastical story to me. And you can't take somebody's hard drive that that's breaking the law. Like you can't go like let me take a hard drive and then leak it to the media. You take it to the police, like go to the police if there's a crime involved. And if you oh, see yeah. something like that, don't rip it off the computer and then add some emails and then go, <laughs> look at this big cover up. But then that, that just adds to complexity as in, yes, if for example, someone, you know, gets this hard drive, sends it to the media yeah. and not to the police, they might be, they might uh, have criminal charges made against them because it's going like no you should have done it in a certain way but that doesn't negate necessarily what's on it like it is a complicated and interesting uh 
situation. Yeah. I, now, I've if, always been critical of Twitter because I've always felt that it's silenced the voices of people I dislike. I've always felt well, that. Oh, I thought you're. Yeah, my issue with it is it lacks nuance, and now you gotta you just have to read threads constantly. You you can't. The, back in the day, the word count made it very difficult to get a. Oh yeah, lack of nuance. Yeah. yeah, and thoughts. I mean, there's a real thought problem. Didn't they just come out and say though that they didn't? They're not silencing like they silence way more. Um, or they amplify conservative voices more than they. I know Facebook did, and I think Twitter as well. When they actually went through, they were like, "No, there's not like a grand, um, like, algorithmic snuffing out of any particular thing. If anything, conservatives are more amplified on it." And so, and then there's idea that the they're not doing that. I'm like, I don't. It seems like. Well, I don't know. Like, I I'm an old school leftist, and but I've always felt that people I dislike have been treated badly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt that the people I dislike have been maligned, uh, shadow banned, and abused. Um, and yeah. yeah, so and, and and I think now I've I the, what I when I the might I've looked into it, but I need to look into it more. But I think that's true: is that the people I despise have been profoundly mistreated. Yeah, I um I shadow banned myself about three years ago. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we have our disagreements on this, but that's what's fun oh, about yeah. this podcast. That's what's the, fun about the podcast, um, yes. The, the, the just vicious arguing um, that happens. And I'm, I'm sorry for if it's ugly. I know it's near Christmas, maybe the new year when this goes up, to our listeners for such a very... Um, I'm sorry for being so aggressive, Pete, in my opinions here. But I'm just trying to care about free speech, and I love Elon Musk. I feel I feel that you've been very you've treated me very badly and this is very sad. Uh-huh, I yeah. what, what I would like you to do, in fact, like this is beside the point that we can put this in or not, but I send me something that you feel is a very good analysis of your position. I'll send you something that I feel is a very good analysis of like the position I take, and because I would like to see something. Um, I, I might have already seen it, because like, but I don't know if I will. But if you if you think there's a very good analysis. Yeah, that that really kind of articulates your concern. Say with the Hunter Biden laptop, I want I want to watch it, and we could even do a podcast on it, and we could discuss it. Yeah, that so, sounds good because I um, it'll it'll give me an excuse to actually look into these things rather than just sort of taking the the scraps of whatever I'm seeing tweeted by. Yeah. Um. All right, man. This has been fun. Everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for staying patient with us as we make big life changes. We'll be back in the new year. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment. Please feel free to subscribe. You can even go to patreon.com slash the fundamentalists if you're thinking, hey, these guys seem fun and cool and civil and nice. Uh, and go for it. And it helps us edit the podcast when we do it. And we appreciate everybody who's already done it. And I hope you all have a happy holiday uh, season and happy new year. Boy, that one outro did not go as well as the intro did. That was a I lot thought that of was great. Stuff. I thought that was really That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Felt like a speed bumps the whole time. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. Bye, Cheers. everybody. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. <laughs>